as you remain standing, if you have your Bible, grab it once again and turn to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, is where we will be together this evening as we continue our ongoing study through John's Apocalypse. And we come to the second scene of three in chapter 12, wanting to look this evening at verse 7 through 12. So let me read that great text for us and pray for our study, and then we'll begin. So here now as God speaks to us, once again through His Word. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon is his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And thus far the reading of God's word, let's pray again once. Father, we ask your help as always as we come to study your word. We know that your word is life unto us, that it is living and active. That it is perfect, that it is pure, that it is precious, that it means to correct us and guide us and train us in godliness. And so we pray that it would do all of those things. Strengthen us this evening, Lord, in the fight, that we might fight the good fight of faith with steadfastness and courage, that we might join with you in crushing Satan under our feet. So we pray that you would help us this day to see what we must we might hear your word and keep it and so find its blessing. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, those of you that were with us all the way back when we began our study of Revelation many months ago, you, you might recall uh, an image that I tried to put on your minds related to how you want to think about this book and what it's unfolding as it unveils the truth. And I told you of this well-known a series of books of wizards and magic that have dominated the world over the last 25 years or so. And, and one of those books was made into a movie that opened in this scene where you have a camera that's basically set at, at you know, ground level. It's nighttime, the street lights are on, cars are just moving around, and slowly but surely what that camera is going to do, it's going to start moving up in the sky. Soon you're going to begin to see clouds, but as you notice the clouds, you seemingly see flashes of lightning, appeals of thunder, and the camera continues to go higher and, and higher, and soon it gets above the clouds and into the heavens. And what you realize is that those flashes of lightnings, peals of thunder, are none other than the sights and the sounds of a war that's raging in the world up above. And in the very same way, what Revelation is doing is raising our perspective to the heavenly places that we might see among many other truths, Centrally and often throughout this book that there indeed is a war raging in the heavenly places. The war for the ages and it's a war that we actually see for the first time in full color in tonight's text. 
And so if you were with us last week, we left off, didn't we, in verse 6 of chapter 12. We talked about how chapters 12, 13, and 14 give to us the series of seven signs, uh, the first sign of which is just chapter 12 itself and this war between Satan and the church. And we noticed how the church was pictured as this woman in childbirth. Satan there was pictured as, as a great red dragon eager to devour the offspring of the woman, which is none other than Jesus Christ. And the Lord protected his son, caught him up to heaven, the text said, and in the same way protected his people as she went out into the wilderness. And there she went to a place that was prepared by God. And we said that what this text was telling us, among other things, was at least two simple truths about just the Christian life. The first of which Christians live in a spiritual war. And secondly, that Christians live in a spiritual wilderness. And those are two themes that will show that up once again in the second scene of Revelation 12, most poignantly, is that Christians live in a spiritual war. Because the simple theme of this text is Satan cast out. And students, you want to pay attention to this passage because you surely know, if you've paid attention, I guess, in history classes within school, is that every military leader in general knows that a key part of battle is knowing your enemy, knowing their tactics, knowing their strengths, understanding their weaknesses, and whether you realize it or not. By virtue of faith in Christ, you've been enlisted into His army You're part of this battle that's been raging for thousands and thousands of years. It's the greatest battle that the universe has ever seen and will ever see. This battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And you want not only to know your enemy, but you want to know the means to victory over that enemy. And so you'll want to pay attention, kids, to this passage because it tells you not only much truth and just a short number of verses about your enemy, but also very clearly it tells you the means to victory. So three simple words to guide our study of the text today. Uh, Verses 7 through 9, the simple word is war. And then verse 10 and 11, the word is witness. And verse 12, the word is woe. So war, witness, and woe to divide our text this evening. So let's first of all see the war in heaven. Look again, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon And his angels fought back. Some of you might be like me, is that you only have a few vivid recollections of your early childhood. When I was the age of six, August of 1990, I walked over to my grandparents' house. I grew up in a part of Richardson where my paternal grandparents were only three blocks away. And so frequently we just walk over to grandma and grandpa's house. And I walked over one morning to go play with my cousin who had spent the night the previous evening at grandma and grandpa's. And I walked into the room with this unique earnestness. He was eating a bowl of cereal and watching the Cartoon Network. Back in the 1990s was an incredible perk of being at grandma and grandpa's house. And I said, quick, turn on the news. And he looked at me rather quizzically because we didn't watch the news at that time at all and wondering what was going on. I said, our country is at war. It was an announcement that caused interest. And maybe this announcement in verse 7 causes unique interest. A war arose in heaven. And you see how plain the information is, kids. It tells us quite quickly the vital information. Okay? So where is the war happening? Well, it's in heaven. Who are the opposing generals? You have the archangel Michael on the side of the Lord. And of course you have, once again, this dragon and his demons on the side of evil. And you'll notice the text even tells us right in that first verse who is the instigating attack in this battle. It's the Lord's army that is fighting first. 
Because the text tells us that the dragon and his angels fought back. And so you need to know something about Michael. You don't need to know too much to understand the sense of this passage. He shows up in a few other places in Scripture, most pointedly in the book of Daniel. And when he shows up, he's not only the archangel, he tends to be the representative of God's people. And so I think the right thing to understand about this war is Michael and his angels are fighting there as the covenant community in heaven, representing God's people, of course, the forces of light, the forces of good, that they're wanting to crush Satan and win the victory over him. So what you're getting a glimpse into, I think here in verse 7 and following, is what's going on in heaven when Jesus and His crucifixion and resurrection is waging war on earth against the devil here in this world. And we need to know something, don't we, about the outcome. Verse 9 tells us He was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. If you ever read military history, sometimes you want more details. If you ever read military history, sometimes you want Less details, so vivid is the recollection. Here, I think you'd want more. How long did this battle take place? What exactly did it look like? Angels and demons. Michael and the devil fighting against each other. But the only outcome we're worried about, because it's the only outcome we're worried about, is that Satan was defeated. Three times, notice verse 9 tells us, he was thrown down. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. I told you uh, last week about this book, something of a classic in our tradition, certainly a classic of spiritual warfare written by William Grinnell, The Christian in Complete Armor. Chapter 4 talks about the titles that belong to our vaunted enemy and how these titles, these names, reveal his great power. And notice how just in verse 9, kids, we get four titles, names, regarding our enemy. Notice number one, he is the great dragon. He's the violent, vehement, fire-breather from hell. Number two... He is, of course, that ancient serpent. Now, kids, if you think about a text in Scripture that speaks about a serpent, what story comes to mind? Now, probably the devil's work as a serpent in the Garden of Eden, tempting Adam and Eve to fall into sin. This is the great dragon, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil. Devil just means slanderer. It tells us that insult is his oxygen, that slander is his ordinary tactic against God's people, not just the devil, he's also Satan, which just means adversary or uh, accuser. Uh, This is the demonic being against whom God's people continually fight, and we don't want to think he's just an ordinary adversary. He is the adversary of God's people, because you'll see how the text continues in verse 9. He is the deceiver of the whole world. This is who stands against God's people. This is who's going to be thrown down to earth. This is who we'll see this week and next week wages war against you even today. The great dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan, he was thrown down. And many of you know that every sport seems to have its means of expulsion or ejection. You know, in baseball, it's just a word and a gesture from the umpire that, you know, toss a, a player to get off the field, or in basketball, two technical fouls will will lead him to get tossed to the locker room, or in football these days, a targeting penalty is tantamount to getting the showers, and in my sport of of soccer, it's just a red card, means you're ejected from the game, you got to go sit outside in the stands, and your team has to play down a man, 
for the rest of the game. And what we know from chapter 9 is, is Satan got the red card in heaven. He's ejected, thrown down, cast out, disqualified, not allowed back. Satan was cast out. This is the war in heaven. And verse 10 and 11 now is going to help us understand exactly how it was and what it means that Satan has been cast out. So we move from the war in heaven to the witness of heaven. Look at verse 10. John says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. It's almost as though those four titles of Satan in verse 9 are not going to get swallowed up by these four words about Christ's victory, salvation, the power, the kingdom, the authority of God has come. And what's the consequence? Well, verse 10 continues, For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them night and day before our God. So students, do you think this means that Satan no longer accuses God's people? Well, you should shake your head and say no. He he certainly still continues to accuse God's people, but notice the difference. He's no longer allowed to do it in heaven. What happened with the finished work of Jesus Christ is that Satan was cast out. That certainly it seems like if you understand your Bible well enough in the decades, centuries, millennium, even before this even happened, that Satan was somehow invited in often enough, you know this in the book of Job, into the heavenly council above, and he was there to accuse God's people. And he thought he had grounds for it to point out their sin, to point out their failures, to point out their shortcomings. But now with the finished work of Jesus Christ, the inaugurated kingdom, his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension to the Father's right hand, Satan is cast out. Why? Because the work is now done. There are no longer grounds to accuse God's people. Jesus gets to say, they are mine. You're no longer allowed here, adversary and accuser. You have been defeated. My blood has covered them. They are forgiven. They are my people. They bear my name. You are not allowed here anymore. So perhaps the next time you feel that Satan is assaulting your conscience with accusations, you might turn to Revelation chapter 12. To understand that he has been cast out. Why? Because he has been defeated. So therefore what has come is power, authority, kingdom, and salvation. Further, verse 11 continues to help us understand exactly how this casting out happened. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. That's a word that's significant enough. We'll end our meditation this evening there in just a few minutes. Satan cast out the war in heaven, the witness of heaven, now the woe from heaven. But it's a woe about trembling on earth that's preceded by triumph in heaven. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Joy in Jesus is the most natural, isn't it? Logical, spiritual consequence that Christ has defeated Satan. Uh, you want to pay attention carefully in your spiritual life to your joys. Oh, what brings you great joy? What brings you the deepest joy? The lasting joy? When was the last time that you burst out in this kind of spontaneous praise of heaven. Thinking about the victory that is yours in Jesus Christ. You know Satan is going to use the sufferings and sorrows of life here on earth. To swallow up your joy in Jesus, just like the night swallows up the day. 
But if you understand Christ's victory rightly, if you understand your wilderness wandering here on earth rightly, there should always be in the midst of maybe those seasons of nighttime sorrow and suffering, the stars of joy, hope, faith always in the sky, because the morning star is coming. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings because he has cast Satan out. So there is this party celebration of joy going on in heaven, but a word of woe, kids, a word of warning to all of us who dwell on earth in the rest of verse 12. I read of a story this week about a storm named Camilla that struck the Mississippi shoreline in 1969. And it was on the evening when the storm was scheduled to arrive that 20 people gathered in an apartment complex some 250 feet from the shoreline to throw what they called a hurricane party. And a law enforcement official drove by and noticed the lights and noticed the noise and and told them that they needed to get out because danger was on the way. But they just continued on in their hurricane party. And so it was that evening at 10, 15 p.m., the 205-mile-an-hour winds hit the shoreline. Uh, Raindrops with the force of bullets began to crash against windows. Waves that crested some 28 feet high began to pour forth upon the land. And not surprisingly, all those who didn't listen ceased to live because they didn't heed the warning. I want you to listen now because there's a warning that we are meant to heed in the rest of verse 12. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. I hope you come back next week as we Notice how verse 13 through the end of the chapter really fleshes out this final part of verse 12. But before this evening, you simply need to know that Satan recognizes he's running out of time. The clock is ticking. He's been cast out. So what's his response? To war, rightly understood in this verse, against God's people with even greater wrath because he knows he doesn't have much time left hope you're preparing yourself for this battle. I hope you're fighting steadfast and strong in this battle. There was war in heaven. There was a witness from heaven. There's a woe from heaven. All of it telling us, reminding us, warning us even that Satan has been cast out. It was on Tuesday morning of this last week that our family drove down to a large cemetery in Dallas where we laid in the ground Emily's great aunt, who died in the Lord at the ancient age of 105. And later on that evening, we were having dinner around the table, and as these things tend to happen, our three youngest children all said in their own way, but almost with the exact words, I don't want to die. It was a very sincere moment of, I don't want to die. And we talked about just the fear that belongs to those who die outside of the Lord, but the safety that belongs to those who die inside of the Lord. And I suppose that children, some of you in here today, might too not want to die. Some of you, even I know, are staring down in a unique way. Death, you're staring at it in the face. And you perhaps say, I don't want to die. This is a battle that all of us are going to have to fight against at one point in our life. And as we talk to our children in the same way on Tuesday evening, I want to now speak to you at the end from two truths in verse 11 
of how you can face death from the certainty of Christ's victory. Satan is cast out, according to verse 11, in two ways. By two things. First, the blood of the Lamb. Satan is cast out by the blood of the Lamb. You see verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. As essential as oxygen is to the human body, so is the blood of the Lamb to the Christian soul. Without the blood, there is no atonement. Without the blood, there is no cleansing. Without the blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the blood, there is no eternal life. But with the blood, there is every blessing and benefit that belongs to God's people through the work of Jesus Christ. Where Satan once stood as your adversary by virtue of spilled, victorious blood, Jesus now stands as your advocate. You can face whatever Satan throws your way should you cling to the blood of the Lamb? This is a blood, Hebrews 12 tells us, speaks a better word. I wonder if this is blood that's speaking for you. Speaking of your rescue and redemption. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Satan is cast out, number two, by the boldness of their testimony. Look at the end of verse 11. They have conquered him by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. I trust you recognize how this would have been such a wonderful comfort to the original hearers and recipients of John's revelation. People that were staring at the possibility of martyrdom. Who were going to die for Jesus Christ. And he's encouraging them, it seems like in scene after scene, to be steadfast, to persevere, to last, to endure because a martyr's crown belongs to them. Notice the conquering power even, this text says, to those who love not their lives, even Unto death. You know, I increasingly wonder in our Western context if one of Satan's great schemes and strategies, he wars against us with even greater wrath because his time is short, is to tempt us and to scheme against us in such a way when we're consumed with preventing death, when in reality we should just be preparing for death. They love not their lives, even unto death. How then is Satan cast out by the Lamb's blood, by boldness in the gospel? This is the war that was in heaven. This is the witness that came from heaven. This is the woe that is now heard in our ears from heaven. Satan will be cast out in your life should you come to him and receive the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And live not in fear of death by the boldness of your testimony. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that you would help us in the midst of our marathon race of life here on earth to run our race with confidence to run it with strength, to put on the full armor of Jesus Christ as we want to stand against evil, as we want to withstand even until the final day. So we pray that you would cover us with Christ's blood, that by your Spirit you empower our testimony that would be full of boldness, that we would look to the heavenly city that is above, longing for the future kingdom to come. And Lord, we pray that even this evening you would hasten its coming, that we might dwell with you forever, enjoying your victory over sin, Satan, and death. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.